This Sunday, it'll be 25 years since the first time the Women's Reservation Bill was introduced in Parliament. And on the record today, we have CPM's Politburo member, Brinda Karat, who was there in Parliament and was part of the MPs that passed the only time the Women's Reservation Bill was passed by Rajya Sabha. Of course, since then, it has lapsed because it was in 2010. So to talk about 25 years of the Women's Reservation Bill, why is it something that is still pending? Why is it not on top of the agenda for every political party? We have Brinda Kara joining us. Thank you so much for speaking with Hindustan Times. I want to start by asking you, in 1996, it was a Devi Gowda government which first introduced the Women's Reservation Bill, which talks about keeping one third of the seats in uh, legislative assemblies, in parliament for women. It's been 25 years. Has anything changed since then? Well, I remember that day 25 years ago. And we were all so happy and we really did feel that it was going to usher in uh, a mechanism to fill the gap in politics between men and women. And just the following day or the following two days, this issue came of the reservation within reservation raised by the BJP MPs at the time. And that from then till 2021, Added to that, there have been so many more excuses from obviously a, a, a parliament which or a government um, or governments who have not thought it uh, to be top on the agenda. And that is the reality. You know, ma'am, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I was covering parliament in 2010 and we remember those images very clearly of you, Sushma Swaraj, Renuka Chaudhary, all holding hands outside Rajya Sabha because the bill had been passed, something which seemed so impossible. I wanted to ask you, how is it that on such a rare occasion, you had the Congress and the BJP, two major parties supporting this? Obviously, there were things within uh, opposition, within them, opposition from their allies, which basically means that you know, this is something that is seems like uh, legislation impossible. I don't think it's impossible at all, but it does require the political will. Now, for example, uh, both the Congress and the BJP had uh, many sections within their parties, as you rightly say, which opposed the bill. The TMC at that time, in fact, abstained from the bill. Uh, that was also a very unexpected gesture, because if you remember, there were a lot of histrionics by TMC MPs uh, in the Lok Sabha, but when it came to the actual passage of the bill, they abstained from it. But the political will was also shown by the chairperson of the Rajya Sabha, because if you recall, there were very ugly physical uh, attacks uh, which were sought to be made on the minister, 
And women of all parties stood as a sort of wall around him in that kind of drama. And the person just behind me stood just on the table behind me and smashed the glass. And he had a bleeding arm, which is sort of dripping on the table next to me. But at the end of the day, there was a political will which ensured that the bill was discussed, debated, and then adopted. So the first issue here is, why is the present government, with such a strong majority, having promised women in 2014 that they would bring the will, with that huge majority in which they can push through any legislation they want, including anti-worker, anti-farmer, whatever they want, they can push through change the constitution, destroy a state like Kashmir, everything they can do with that majority. But why not have they used that majority to get the women's reservation bill passed? So the first question is, the Bharatiya Janata Party-led Modi government, does it have the political will to get this bill through? I think no. And there are many reasons for that. And one of the reasons is also, Sunetra, a kind of cultural framework in which they operate. Because if you recall, one of the objections before the OBC reservation within reservation was, if you bring more women into politics, you're going to destroy the ideal family. Because every woman will then have an ambition to be in public life and what's going to happen to the ideal family, which represents our Sanskriti, which represents our civilization, our women whose main job is to bring up children, preferably sons, what is going to happen with that? So there are cultural reasons also within the Bharatiya Janata Party's ideology, which balks at bringing a legislation as a right for women to be at least one third. So I say today, it's good you have 78 women. It's the highest the Indian Lok Sabha has ever had. But it's still just 14.4%. If you had had the bill, Sunetra, if you'd had the bill, there would be 180 women today in the Lok Sabha. So where are the missing women? And why are they missing women? I think that's the issue. I think if packed in so much there. I want to take bits of that and talk about it a lot more. You know, for one reason, I think it's very interesting that you mention uh, TMC because I was going to talk to you about the TMC, that the TMC has since then, of course, since 2010, one of the things that it's known for is that it has a very high percentage of women that candidates that they give tickets to. And out of their representatives in parliament also, there's a huge representation of women, perhaps one of the best among all the parties right now. So would you yes. like to remind our uh, you know, people who are listening to this exactly what kind of role they played in the politics at that time? Because it's interesting to say how political parties are always evolving. Well, firstly, I think it's, a, it's positive that the TMC, a regional party like the TMC, a party like the Biju Janta Dal, a party like the YSR Congress. If you look at the present Lok Sabha now, actually it is regional parties who have given a much, who have been successful, who have given a better representation for women compared to the national parties, both the BJP 
and the Congress. And as far as the left is concerned, although we did have uh, much improved numbers of candidates in the last Lok Sabha election, as you can see, we didn't win the seat. So we have only one member in the Lok Sabha right now, which is the worst we have ever had. So certainly as far as regional parties, including TMC, is concerned, it's better. But you have to look at the national perspective. And these parties within their own states, for their own reasons, which also are within their own parties, um, allegiance to the leader, for example, which is a very important part of regional parties, is allegiance to the leader. But if we look at the national perspective, that why these parties play a completely different role when it comes to parliament. And unfortunately, at the one time where we really had a chance to push through the Women's Reservation Bill after it got through the Rajya Sabha, the role of the TMC and others at that time. Now, for example, the JDU, there were differences in the JDU. But because Nitishji at that time had a majority of the MPs who were in the Rajya Sabha, they voted for the bill. But what they would have done in Lok Sabha, where Sharadji was the main leader at the time, we don't know what would have happened. So the point is, there are differences within parties. But unfortunately, because of those differences, it's not just women who suffer. I would say it is democracy which suffers. It's democracy. For sure. And we know the kind of benefits... I mean, speaking, uh, you know, just as an observer, we know the kind of benefits that representation has. But I don't really, the other thing you talked about, the you know, the bleeding arm uh, of the MP who was trying to protest. Uh, who was that? I don't remember that. Because what's interesting is that when you recall all of this, Brinda Karat, it reminds us that recently in the last parliament session, you know, people talked about the fact that that kind of protest we hadn't seen before. And I saw a lot of women MPs, this time again from the TMC, who were leading the protests against the kind of what they felt was the government kind of uh, dominating and pushing legislation through. Uh, so it's interesting to see that parliament has always had very kind of strident protests and it's just that we have a very short memory and we forget that. That's absolutely true. And also, it requires the commitment of the chair uh, to push a legislation. And I'm sure that the present speaker, if he was given an opportunity by the party in power to steer the reservation bill through, uh, I'm sure he would be strong enough to do it or committed enough to do it. But the question that I again raise is, why is the Bharatiya Janta Party government not even listing, listing it in the agenda of business? I mean, we talk about being the Vishwa Guru. Vishwa Guru. But unfortunately, in a measure of social justice for women, we are today ranked out of 193 countries as far as women's representations in the lower house are concerned, the elected parliament, we are around 135 or 136 out of 193 countries. I mean, that's a pretty shocking uh, statistic, isn't it? 
For sure. And I think, you know, you gave a very interesting aspect of, you know, um, a view of why the BJP may have maybe, you know, because when we asked them about it, they say they don't even want to talk about it on record because obviously they had pushed it through. They want to talk about empowering women. But for some reason, and you have that uh, angle on why the BJP doesn't want. Why do you think the UPA didn't want it? Uh, is it because of the fact that the RJD, who was their ally, Lalu Yadav's party, was dead against it? Because as you said, the best time to push it through was when you have Sonia Gandhi as the UPA chair and they're in a majority at that time. So post-2010, when it's already been passed in Rajya Sabha, that was when the momentum was there. That's when you were pushing it. That's when BJP was on board. That's when UPA was there. So was it only Lalu Yadav and also perhaps no, Samajwadi Party? No, they didn't. I think they didn't have the numbers. If they'd worked hard enough to get the numbers, as they did for many other legislations, the second UPA time I'm talking about, yes. uh, which, were highly, which were highly unpopular legislations, they did manage to get through. But um, I think, again, you see, it's a five-minute walk from the Rajya Sabha to the Lok Sabha. <laughs> How many years is it now since 2010? And as you said, it's lapsed. So... Again, I think, of course, numbers was an issue at that time for the UPA too, because they were dependent on certain parties uh, which were not in favor of the Women's Reservation Bill. So the kind of political leadership which was required to push that through, they failed in that. And you know, the, their default was always set up a committee, have a select committee, Let's have another select committee. I mean, they've had three committees on the Women's Reservation Bill. I don't think there is any other bill which has gone through that tortured process. And uh, if you just look at another figure, Sunetra, how long is it going to take? People ask me very often, Are, why do you want a legislation? Aren't you people meritorious enough to get equal representation? You know, a lot of, a lot of women also feel that. Why are you people asking for quotas, etc. Now, just look at this figure. In the first parliament of India, after independence, when women had come out in such large numbers, we had 24 women. That's in 1952. In, 2000, in 2019, when the last elections were held, we got 78. So if it takes 73 years to get about 50 more women into parliament, how many years is it going to take to get to one-third reservation without a quota? Yeah. And as Justin Trudeau rightly said, and he said it in 2015, when half the number of ministers in his cabinet were women, he said it's 2015. So to everyone, I want to say it's 2021. When are we going to have the equal representation of women in our elected uh, places? Ma'am, but I wanted to ask you, this uh, this 14%, this 78 MPs. Now, I think it's obvious in the last cabinet reshuffle that the government had as well, that they're very proud of the fact that they have two ministers, cabinet ministers, top ministers, including the finance minister as a woman. They were also very proud of the fact that you had two, uh, you had seven new ministers, MOSs and others, who have now come into the uh, Council of Ministers. Total number of ministers that are there in the Modi government are 11 women ministers. Surely that, even if it is symbolism, uh, even if it is tokenism, uh, that counts for something, doesn't it? 
Certainly, there's no doubt about it. To have to increase the numbers of women and to show that women are more than capable of, you know, uh, taking responsibility in high places certainly has uh, an important message for the country. The question that I raise is, what are these women doing as far as Women's Reservation Bill is concerned? Why are they not raising their voices? I remember in their own party, there was a Sushma Swaraj. There was a Najma Heptullah. Of course, she shifted from the Congress to the BJP. But even in her position in the BJP, I remember Sushma Swaraj, how she fought for that bill against many in her own party. So we can have some really fundamental differences, oppositions, and be on opposite sides of the barricade on so many other major issues. But on the women's reservation bill, why are these women ministers who have shown that they are more than capable of following their government policies, why are they not expanding the framework of their work to challenge those who are not bringing the bill? Why? That would be meaningful, no? One is, it's very good, at least I think so, to have more women in public life certainly does push the envelope for women in a patriarchal society. There's no doubt about it. But the second aspect is also the policies you follow. You need to push a wider agenda, na? You know, ma'am, there's a there's an you know interesting kind of uh, debate around this, right? Which I think all women leaders face when you get to a position of power, Brinda Karat. Is it a burden that you have to carry as a minority that you should be campaigning for that, or should you then? You know, why should women carry this burden uh, is what I think some people ask. And it's not just the women thing, you know, other minorities, like a black leader. Like, did Obama have to just speak for black people's rights and to further their cause? Or having been there, does he have to carry everyone along? So I think, isn't this a dilemma which, uh, you know, and you're urging these women ministers to push the cause of women, to push the cause of the Women's Reservation Bill. But is that too much of a burden to push? I mean, isn't it that the other people who are in positions of power then get put off by saying that, oh my God, she's just going to talk about women's issues then? I mean, you know what I mean? Isn't there a balance to that one, a woman has to juggle when, when it comes to positions of power? Well, if you are committed to a particular cause, and if that cause, for example, if you look at women in the wider context of democracy, and you look at the weakness of democracy, at least one aspect of it, of being weaker representation of women, then as a person who believes in democracy, it would be obvious that you have to raise the issue of women. I also believe for women politicians, I'm sure they understand very well that it is the women who came before them who made the path for them that much easier. It is women in the BJP who fought and who very often had to sacrifice so much, who made the path easier for those who are occupying positions today. It's not come because of some magnanimity. It's come because of struggle. 
But unfortunately, the way that their politics is constructed, so even if you come to a position knowing that it is the women who went before you, who fought for you, that you are where you are today, the politics is so male-centric and so patriarchal in its intrinsic nature, as I talked about culture earlier to you, that they dare not raise this issue. They dare not because they are there because they accept a certain constricted framework. Otherwise, I see no reason at all why such a powerful set of women leaders, so articulate, why are they silent on an issue in which all women in this country are interested in, involved in, and the large majority demand it? Why? What is the answer? So this whole issue of demanding it, Prindakarat, I wanted to just ask you, you know, the mystery of what the Indian woman voter wants. It's interesting to see because in every election, they seem to want different things. They voted, uh, they voted uh, overwhelmingly for Narendra Modi in 2019. They voted for Mamta Banerjee and were key in her victory in Bengal. And then they were also key in their uh, vote in Bihar, where they brought back the BJP JDU government. So what does the woman voter want? And do you think, in a way, the woman voter is also patriarchal or caught in this kind of patriarchal trap? Well, firstly, I don't think you can talk about a homogenous woman voter. Women are divided by class. They're divided on caste lines. They're divided on social economic issues, just as men are. So women are primarily and firstly citizens of India. And as citizens of India, they have fortunately, as voting patterns have shown, that women vote more and more independently from their men. So that is something important. Secondly, I'm not sure why you say that women overwhelmingly voted for Narendra Modi in 2019 for the simple reason that the entire vote of the BJP was 40%. And in that 40% vote, which the BJP got, which is a minority vote in this country, uh, 60% did not vote for him. But among the 40% who voted for him, there were more men than women. So, I mean, but I, that's not your argument. So I don't want to follow that uh, that much further, but just to, uh, you know, just to add my point there. So the thing is that women vote as citizens. The question always has been, do women vote independently? Do they vote independent of their men or not? And I think now there's enough um, sophology and there's enough analysis of voters by different organizations, which show that more and more in India, women do tend to vote uh, differently and they don't necessarily always follow the way the men vote. So I think that's an important uh, advance as far as women's use of the vote to express their own opinions is concerned. Why women vote in a particular way? I think basically women do want peace. They want development. And I think those are very, very critical issues which um, affect women across India. And on that basis, I would say that women are pretty savvy political voters. Can't take them for granted at all. 
I agree. And I think the what I I think it got misconstrued. I think what I meant was when the BJP analyzed their vote after the election results came out, they owed and they owed their victory when they analyzed, especially the Bihar results, because it, I'm talking about that because that was a very close call that came out. Um, the the opposition, the Mahagat Bandhan, Tejasvi Yadav did very well over there. But when they look closely at the reason for the win, the BJP puts it down to women voters who they say overwhelmingly came out in the last few phases and voted for Narendra Modi. And the, in a similar manner in Bengal elections as well, it was, again, the TMC said that it was certain kind of, you know, the whole Duare Shorkar uh, governance at your doorstep, these schemes introduced by Mamata Banerjee, again, the women came out and overwhelmingly voted for her. So they credited the women's vote. So obviously the women's vote is something that people are vying for. Political parties are vying for. Really? And yet it's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, they don't seem to, women voters don't seem to go or choose, a, a, you know, a woman leader or look at the fact that, you know, is this party pro-women? Is this party giving more tickets to women? Is this party? So it's interesting, I thought, that as a, you know, if I ask you to look at it as a political analyst, as how you look at it, how does one decipher uh, a very crucial group like women's vote and how they are voting, but not necessarily along feminist or gender lines? Well, I think that's something positive, frankly. Because if you have a woman who represents the worst kind of communal politics and a woman voter knows that if I vote for this lady, I know what I'm going to get. And she doesn't vote for that lady. She votes for a person, a man, who she thinks represents a better politics. So I think the ability, I think what we should be really looking at is not the specific issue of a specific election, but by the fact that coming out of the patriarchal mold, a woman in India today, she was always taken for granted. Her vote was always taken for granted. But today, political parties have to work out what it is specifically that women voters want. I mean, for example, as you say, in Bengal, in Kerala, overwhelmingly, the women voted for the LDF once again and broke that record. So there is a certain uh, set of issues which women look for as voters. And whether the party ultimately delivers on that or not is a different issue. But if those are the issues which a political party is addressing, I think women voters are very, um, you know, they would vote for that. Which, and also in Bengal, I mean, you have a prime minister who's making those catcalls about a woman leader Literal cat calls, the kind of way that he addressed the chief minister of Bengal who was standing for elections again, the way he addressed her, I think it was absolutely appalling. Look, I am a total opponent of Mamta Banerjee's politics. But I can tell you, as a citizen of India and especially as a woman of India, I was absolutely appalled by Mr. Narendra Modi's. What should I say? I can only say that. I mean, it's like, you know, a, a street side, you know, harasser, frankly. 
somebody who calls out to a woman in the way that he did in every rally of his, what is it? I mean, it was absolutely appalling. And I think, you know, women voters in Bengal were pretty sure that this is not the gentleman who's going to come to Bengal with that kind of culture. And I think actually that helped Mamta a lot. Do you think in the last 25 years, things have become easier for women? I know you talked about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, many p- politicians don't want women in this sphere. But has that become easier? Because, I, you know, we see as political reporters, we go out and see how difficult it is. There are It's predominantly male, um, you know, the life of being a politician, being out there. But do you see change that way? I do. I certainly do. And I think uh, having around 50% of women in local bodies through the reservation quota, I think that has made a huge difference in rural India. And I don't go for this proxy politics kind of thing because there is proxy politics, whether it's class, whether it's caste, whether it's gender. Yes, that illness and that, you know, blot on our democracy is there. But I think the base, why I am so you know, convince a reservation in parliament and assembly is so important for democracy is because we have seen the way India has really set a record for the whole world in 50% reservation for women at local body level. And women have gained that confidence. And I think it's a chain reaction. Women voters being more vocal women voters making their you know needs and requirements known to political parties women voters voting independently women seeing representation growing at the local level in the rural areas of india in the villages in urban local bodies so over the last 20 years there has been a tremendous increase of women in public life and the patriarchal conservative orthodox framework that entire manusriti culture of a woman as an appendage of men, that undoubtedly, Sunetra, in the last 20 years, we have seen a marked change. And, you know, we have to salute the women of India. And that is why it is all the more criminal and I use that word advisedly, it is criminal to have a huge majority and not want to take India's democratic processes forward and to block it and to block the bill. Are I wanted to ask you, because it's been some time since you were speaking and making speeches in parliament, are there women leaders there now? (laughs) Are there women leaders there now whose speeches you enjoy? Well, I mean, there are a lot of women who are so articulate in Parliament and, you know, who have fought so many battles to get there. So, you know, what I would really like to see that on an issue like the Women's Bill, if women could all come together and use their collective power to force the government to bring that bill and to get it done, I think that would really be a measure of the advance that women have made since the first parliament of India. You didn't name anyone, Brinda Karat. 
I, I don't think I'd like to name any individual, but there are many women in Parliament who are vocal, who are articulate, and um, who I'm sure have the power to take this thing forward. And I wish they would use that power to do so. My final question to you, for people who need convincing or for people who may say that, look, we're, we're, we're kind of addressing or catering to the needs of the marginalized by uh, thinking of, by quotas, by other kind of uh, help for the economically disadvantaged. Would you like to remind not just the policymakers, but everyone of how different a world it would be? Why is it that 25 years later, women's reservation bill is still relevant and much, much needed? I believe that the power of patriarchy is bad for everyone, is bad for men, is bad for women, is bad for uh, Indian society. And the will of patriarchy is being reflected in the blockages, the blockade of the women's bill. So the first point is, bring the women's bill, it does weaken patriarchal processes, patriarchal attitudes, and that can only be good for social justice. Secondly, I believe that if you bring more women into parliament and have more women in public spaces, it also helps to make that public space less unequal. And I think that is also a good thing for Indian democracy. And the third point is, within the women's reservation bill, there are reservations for scheduled castes and scheduled tribe women. And I believe reservation for scheduled castes and scheduled tribe women will also strengthen the role of women, not only in those communities, but will set an example for the rest of India who may be so elitist as to think there is only a particular set of women who can be in parliament and can be leaders. So this gives an opportunity to a much wider range of women politicians. So I think all in all, it would be, uh, it would be very useful, helpful, and strengthen the processes of Indian democracy. Bindakarat, thank you so much for speaking with Hindustan Times and on the record on the 25th anniversary of the Women's Reservation Bill being used. I hope uh, for everyone's sake that we finally seeing, uh, see it becoming act one day. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Sunetra. Thank you. Well, that was a conversation and that brings us to the end of this episode of On the Record. If you would like to share your views on it, do tweet me at Sunitra C or at HD Smartcast. Send in your feedback and I'll be back with another episode. So join us then. Goodbye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.